Father, we ask tonight, Lord God, that you open up our hearts, soul, and mind, and body. Lord, we want to be able to fulfill your call and fulfill it in a God and a biblical way. Father, I ask you, Lord God, that we'll see this tonight, Lord God, and that we'll get back to the absolute. And, Father, that we'll be a primary witness for you in this area. And I'll give you the glory for all that you'll do. Father, remember all of those tonight that are not able to be here, that are sick in body, those that are sick in soul, those that are sick in the spirit. Father, we pray and we ask, Lord, that you will show mercy and grace unto them in this hour. But tonight, Lord God, we come before you with a learned, learned spirit, open up to you to receive, to feel more comfortable in speaking with people about the gospel, the true gospel. And God, when all this is said and done, help us, Lord God, to see why it's so important to do it the way that you have laid it out in the scripture. And I'll give you the praise and the glory for it all. In Jesus' name, and the church said amen. amen. I think it's important, uh, as you already see, I'm not doing worship tonight because I want to do a little workshop. Mm -hmm. And it's so important because um, tonight I have bad news and I have good news. Mm -hmm. And... Um, the bad news is pretty grim. It's pretty grim. We're going to try to give you the bad news first and then good news a little later on. But uh, we do have bad news and good news. I just wonder, has anyone ever stopped and asked the question why it is that uh, 9 out of 10 children that are raised in a Christian church or a Christian home, they leave church? Has anybody ever asked yourself that question? Why well, it is that a child is in church till he's 18, and the minute he gets 18, he leaves church and then don't come back. Has anybody ever asked that question to yourself? Uh, what about this? Why, why do many profession, professing Christians who says, I am a Christian, have very little evidence being shown of their faith? You can't even get them to come to church. Wonder why. Wonder why. What about this? Why is it on, that, uh, on average 94% of those that make a decision for Jesus Christ backslide and fall away from the faith? 94%. You might want to write that down. That is the bad news. <coughs> Wonder why it is that you can have someone come to the altar, respond to your message profess Jesus as the Lord and Savior, come to the altar, be prayed for, go through the sinner's prayer, but then you don't see him back in church again. Wonder why. Some good questions to ask, isn't it? And what God has wanted me to do is get to the root of the matter. I'm going to tell you why. It's because for decades now, and I'm talking decades, probably probably eight decades, maybe even ten decades now, uh, the church has been pushing a popular gospel message. Mm -hmm. And that message is promising God's wonderful plan for your life. In fact, there's a whole lot of tracts that are written out there that tells you that uh, God has a wonderful plan for your life. The number one selling book for 2002, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, next to the Bible was the Purpose Driven Life by the pastor of Saddleback Church in California, 
And he started out his book by writing in there, Jeremiah 29 and 11, that God knows the plans he has for your future. And he started out his first chapter by saying, you are not an accident. And he began to uh, elaborate on a gospel message that basically we in ministry call, God has a wonderful plan for your life. In fact, most churches that you go to during the week now, they go before you and what you hear from the pulpit every week is, is if you've got a problem, come to Jesus, he'll solve it. If you've got a problem in your marriage, come to Jesus, he'll solve it. If you've got a problem in your finances, and you hear me preach that too, if you've got a problem in your finances, come to Jesus, he'll solve it. If you are drunk, come to Jesus, he'll, he'll take care of the drunk and all that stuff. And that's true. But the, the motive and the point of the message is not delivered to the point to where the person actually sees the need of why they need Jesus. So this has become a common approach. And that type of common approach of sharing the gospel just does not align with real life. And not only does it not align with real life, it does not line up with the scripture. And we are witnessing to people around us, people in our family, people out on the street, even on the airwaves, we are witnessing to people a gospel that is not the biblical gospel. And a lot of people are responding to the gospel that is being delivered. It's wonderful to hear that if you're depressed, if you come to Jesus, and you won't be depressed no more. Amen. Ain't that true? Well, it's wonderful to hear that if you're broke and you come to the Lord, then God's got a, a remedy for your finances. If your marriage is about to go in divorce and you hear the message that Jesus is the answer and you come and you accept Jesus and he can change your uh, marriage and, and save your marriage, that's wonderful to hear. And most people respond to that and they want something to happen. But what happens is, is they come up and they go through it and they accept Jesus or himself, make a profession in faith, go through the sinner's prayer for the wrong reason. They're not converted. And the minute they go out and the marriage don't straighten up, they throw their hands up and say, well, I've tried Jesus and that didn't work. And them Christians lied to me. And that's what's happening. So tonight God wants us to reexamine all of our ideas that we've had about the gospel. Because God wants us to reach unbelievers the way he intended us to reach them. I don't know if you remember, I'm 50, be 56 in October. And when I was coming up in church, you heard a lot of hellfire and brimstone preachers. If you don't get right, you're going to hell. Matter of fact, one of the most popular scriptures or popular sermons that I ever heard was preached. And the title of it was, Sinners Are in the Hands of an Angry God. That was a message that was delivered a hundred and some years ago now that sparked the Great Awakening that happened in the United States of America and the Pentecostal movement came out of it, sinners in the hand of angry God. And I want to tell you, it was a sermon that left people that were uh, rich, people that were poor, people that were sick, people that were well, people that had good marriages, people that had a good uh, job, left them in so much conviction it was documented that they would take their fingernails and carve them into shoes as they sit there and shook them in the conviction of God. Now that type of preaching you don't hear in the church anymore. You don't hear it anymore. Everybody wants to hear how Jesus can help them, how Jesus can save them, how he can take care of everything. But you can't fully understand uh, what you're safe 
to unless you understand what you're saved from. If you don't know what you're saved from, then you ain't going to have any earthly idea what you're saved to. Uh, we are saved from the consequences of sins, sins that we have committed. We are saved from hell, yes. But many people sitting in the church don't think they're going to hell because they have somewhere in their life whispered to Jesus, Lord, forgive me for what I've done wrong. But they have not been converted. They have not repented. They have accepted this God has a wonderful plan for you gospel that is not the gospel that Jesus preached. It's not the gospel the apostles preached. In fact, Jesus said, in this life, you're going to have trouble. He said, if you love me, people are going to hate you. He said, people are going to deliver you up before the council. They're going to beat you. They're going to throw you in prison. You're going to be thrown into the lion's den. People's going to hate you. The world's going to hate you. Yes, he's got a wonderful plan for your life, and there are plans for your good. But the minute that people accept Jesus the wrong way in profession and they go out and they start experiencing some, some temptations, some trials, some issues, some hard times, they'll throw their hands up and they'll give up on church. So the first question you got to ask yourself is, what am I saved from? Well, we already said you're saved from the consequences of sin. The next question is, is what is the consequences of sin? Somebody answer that for me. What is the consequences of sin? What? Hell. Hell. What else? Eternal separation from God. Eternal separation from God, which is hell. The consequences of sin is found in Romans 6 and 23, where God says, through Paul, the wages of sin is death. So you are saved from eternal death, like, like Thelma said, eternal separation from God. In other words, what it's saying there is that if you do not deal with your sins while you're here on this earth, that you are going to be paid with a paycheck called death. And God is going to be the one that pays you with a paycheck called death. And the ones that die is eternally separated from God and you go to hell. You are saved from sin and the consequences of sin is your paycheck called death. In other words, you're going to have to pay the fine. So just tell that person right beside him and say, I got to pay the fine. So, so God's law requires that you pay the fine. If you knock out somebody's eye, you are to take your eye out according to the law. If you knock somebody's teeth out according to the law, you are to knock one of your teeth out. If you kill somebody, you pay for that with your life. If you steal for somebody, you are to restore to him four times what you stole from him because the money that he could have used while you were holding on to his money and stuff, he could have doubled that two or three times. So you got to make sure you took care of with that. Now, I hear uh, already some of you, even especially those of you online, well, wait a minute, now I'm not under law, I'm under grace. Yes, you are. You're under law. Thank God for grace, and you are under the covenant of grace. But you receive grace so that you do not have to pay the penalty yourself of the law and what it demands. 
So the law was not canceled out. Jesus said, I did not come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. Mm -hmm. And he says, surely heaven and earth will not pass away until every jot and tittle of the law be fulfilled. A jot and a tittle is the punctuation marks in the Greek and the Hebrew language. So he's saying the law is so strong that every bit of it right down to the punctuation is going to be fulfilled. Now, the word wages, as you already know, I told you, is your paycheck. But how many of you know what sin is? Somebody give me a definition for sin. Real quick, isn't it? Not obeying God's law. Breaking God's Not obeying God's law. Yeah, commandments. Breaking God's commandments. That's yeah. true. That's true. That's the actual meaning of sin. The word in Hebrew, I'm sorry, for, in Greek for sin is harmatia. It causes harm to you. That's how it breaks about. But it literally means that you violate a known law. Now, God said, I have written the law on your heart. So everybody knows the law of God, whether they say they're atheists, whether they say they're transgender, whether they say they're gay, whether they're married, whether they're a Christian, whether they're a sinner, whatever it be, everybody has the law of God written in their spirit, in their conscience. So when you do wrong, how many of you, when you do wrong, you know you've done wrong? So you ain't got to have nobody to tell you when you do something that's wrong, you know it's wrong. Nobody got to preach to you. Even uh, the, the apostle said, you don't have to have nobody to preach to you and to teach you. You can teach yourself because what's in you can teach you. And see, even a sinner has the law of God in him. He has conscience. It, it operates in a dulled sense, but it's still there. And the only way you can get a sinner to see what they are actually and why they are actually needing Jesus to explain to them what they're guilty of. Now, what's happened in the period of time in the church is nobody wants to offend nobody. I was talking to Tina about this last night, and, and Tina said, well, I don't know if I would ask those questions and, and all that stuff because you put people on, on the spot, and you'll see what I'm talking about in a few minutes because they're pulling the questions. But no, if you are doing it in the right way, the person will be extremely grateful that you bring this point out to them. So tonight what we're going to do is we're going to take a good understanding of how Jesus led people to salvation, how the apostles were trained to lead people to Jesus, and how someone can truly know if they're saved or they're not. I guarantee you this. There's a lot of people that will listen to this, especially online because we don't have a whole lot of folks in our church tonight, but there will be a whole lot of people that listen to this online and they think they're saved. And they're going to find out by the end of our uh, talk tonight that they had never been saved. And our job as God's soldiers here on this earth is to master the gospel so that we can bring someone to Jesus and show him why he needs Jesus in a way that they would receive that. So how many of you... Uh, are ready to learn and to be more comfortable in talking to people about getting to know Jesus. Now, over in Mark chapter 9, verse 43, Jesus said this. He said, if your hand offends you, cut it off. He said, it's better for you to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell 
into the fire that never shall be quenched. The word offend mean, in, in Greek is scandalizio, where we get the word scandalize at. And it literally means to put a stumbling block or an impediment in the way that causes you to trip and fall or causes you to be enticed to sin and violate a known law. So what Jesus was saying, he said, if your hand is the thing that's causing you to violate a known law, get rid of it because it's better for you to go around in life without your hand on you and it constantly causing you to violate the, the, the known law. It's better for you to go without that hand all your life than to go to hell with both of them. But the point I want you to see is Jesus right there used the knowledge of hell and he used it graciously and he used it lovingly but he called people to repent and to trust him as the Lord and the Savior by using what people knew about hell. How often do you hear that word in church anymore? You don't do. When you're out witnessing on Monday, how often do you talk to people about hell? She usually does. So we have folks that have done this for a long time. Good to see Ben and Rose come in. Glad he's feeling better. But rarely do you hear any message from the church or the pulpit anymore talking about hell. In fact, when you do, it's presented the wrong way. And it causes people to get angry with you. But if you present it the right way, it will cause the person that's listening to you fall under conviction. So the, the saving message of Jesus Christ and how he did it has been lost in our churches. It's been lost. We're not preaching the message that Jesus preached. We are preaching the message that God's got a wonderful plan for your life. Come to know Jesus and everything will be all right. And people are responding to that. The church is growing because of that. Some churches that have mastered that message, their pews are full every Sunday and they got more money than they can spend. But it is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have took the gospel of Jesus Christ and we have replaced it with a new set of concerns. Hear what I just said. We have took the gospel of Jesus Christ that has certain concerns and we have replaced it with another set of concerns. Now, this message that God has a wonderful plan for your life very quickly speaks about God's love. It speaks about God's mercy. It speaks about God's grace. But it's real slow to take up all the imputations of his holiness, his judgment, and his wrath. Very rarely... Do anyone look at anybody now that is a sinner and say, God's mad with you? God loves you, but he's mad with you. He's upset with you. He's upset with you because you have not kept his law. Very rare do you ever hear that. Am I saying the truth tonight? Amen. So for decades now, the gospel message has been silent on the significant issues of sin and the judgment that is to come. Don't hear a whole lot of people talking about that if you do this, you're in danger of hell fire anymore. 
And you don't hear a whole lot of people talking about the judgment seat of Jesus Christ and the judgment, the white great right throne judgment anymore. And you rarely hear anybody talk about hell anymore. So here you are. People are hearing a good fill-up message, but they don't want to offend nobody. People in, in leadership don't want to offend nobody because they want their church full. And I'm here to tell you, I'd rather have 10 good saved Christians than to have 500,000 sitting in the church and all of them not be true converts. So because of this one thing, uh, we call it contemporary evangelism, modern day evangelism. What's happened, because we've done it for so many years now, if we got a bumper crop of unregenerated believers sitting in the church and they think they're saved and they're not saved, they've not been converted. They've never went before the Lord and in repentance told the Lord exactly why they need him. So God has told me that he wants Living Water Worship Center to reclaim the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And he wants to be able to teach Betty, to teach uh, Thelma, to teach Ben, Rose, all of us exactly what we are to do when we meet someone that needs to be led to the Lord. And I want to share with you, you're going to find out tonight that most people that are sitting in the church with you is lost as a bat. Right. They don't know if they're following the senses and what they say, they're flying wherever anything moves because they came to Jesus under the, it's a wonderful, God's got a wonderful plan for your life message and gospel and the minute trouble and trial comes in their life, they'll throw their hands up and they walk out of the church. All you got to do is turn around and look and see how many people come to church and you'll find out that that's exactly why. Here, I'm here to tell you something. I had a genuine conversion with the Lord and I'm going to tell you, it, it don't matter what sickness I get. If I can get up, I'm coming to church. It doesn't matter how bad things are going in my life. I'm coming to church. I am dedicated to the Lord because I know if I stay dedicated with the Lord, what I am saved from. And because I know what I'm saved from and how important it is for me to be saved from that, it's going to take a whole lot to get me to throw up my hands and walk away from Jesus Christ. So God told us we we're going to reclaim the gospel. I'm going to give you some definitions. I'm going to some definitions, statistics. That is going to blow your mind. This is the bad news. In, in the last four decades, in the last 40 years, we've witnessed something that has exploded in the world, and it's called the growth of mega churches. There are churches right now that has 30,000 people, 40,000 people. There's one church over in Africa right now that has over 3 million believers that goes to church every Sunday. 3 million in one place. Mega churches has went out. Listen. One evangelist last year, one evangelist last year, I'm not going to call it a denomination right now, but he reported that he had recorded almost one million decisions for Jesus Christ. And in 2009, an international organization said that they recorded over 10 million decisions for Jesus Christ. Several denominations last year recorded, get this, that they had 2.5 million decisions made in their church services for Jesus Christ. In fact, one ministry over in Africa recorded they had 45 million people make a decision for Jesus Christ. This is exciting times. We ought to be jumping up and down and shouting. We've, I just told you right there that there is some 70 million people that said that they have accepted Jesus Christ in 2021. 
But there's a problem. There's a big problem. So I just said, how many? How many did I say? 67 million. And it was 70 million. 70 million now that has made a decision for Jesus Christ. But in follow-up, there is less, get this now, less than 500,000 in the church still one year later. In fact, church attendance has dropped. So how in the world can you have some 70 million people in the world make a decision for Jesus Christ, Rose, and they're supposed to start going to church, and the church attendance drops off, and you lose members. How can that happen? Either everybody's dying in the church and going to heaven, Amen. Or the people that got saved didn't get saved. How many would agree with that? Amen. Amen. So there's a major problem that's going on. So I do got some bad news for you. There is a whole lot of spiritual and, and some uh, inconsistencies in that that's going on. A doctor told his patient one time, he walked into him and he said, I got some really bad news for you. But your heart is so weak that that bad news I got for you can make your heart stop. It is so extreme if I tell you, and your heart is so weak, it's so extremely weak, I am afraid if I tell you that your heart will stop on you and you're going to die right now and any bad news I give you is going to kill you. That's the attitude that the preachers have had behind the pulpit for several decades now. Any bad news I give my church, they're just out there on the teeter and the totter. Their heart's not in good shape. And any bad news I give them, then I'm afraid it's going to kill them. So what we've resorted to do is we ain't going to tell nobody no bad news. Oh, Jesus loves you. I know you got drunk and you stayed drunk from Monday in, in April all the way to Monday in August, but Jesus loves you. I know you're living with that woman, but Jesus loves you. I know you're bouncing from bed to bed, but Jesus loves you. I know you got some trouble in your life and your finances is in bad shape. Now you got age, you got all this stuff going on because of what you went in your life. But if you'll come and accept Jesus, everything in your life will straighten itself out because God's got a wonderful plan for your life. That's some good news, ain't it? But it ain't no news because that news is false and straight from hell. So turn to your neighbor tonight and say, how is your heart tonight? Because I got some really bad news for you. But let me say to you, as you hear it, I want you to be consoled in your heart because there is a cure. There's a cure to this bad news that I'm going to bring to you tonight. Listen to this survey. It was conducted October last year by Barnum Research. 45% of profession Christians say that it is okay to gamble and that it is morally acceptable to be able to do so. 48% of Christians that attend church every week think that it is all right to buy a pill from somebody that is not prescribed to them. 49% of Christians believe that cohabitating is morally okay. 49% said that they enjoy to sit down and have sexual thoughts and have fantasies. These are Christians. These are not worldly people. 33% of Christians believe that it's okay 
to kill a baby while it's in the womb. 33% of people that are Christians said that it is okay to kill a baby. 16% of Christians voted for Hillary Clinton in 2016, while 80% voted for Trump. The reason why that happened is because Trump is pro-life. And Hillary and the Democratic Party wanted to be able to take your baby and pull him halfway out of your womb and take a hammer and knock him in the head and suck his brains out and it'd be all right and the federal government had to pay for that. And we didn't want that, so we voted for Donald Trump. Amen? Amen. But listen what happened over four years. 16% voted for Hillary Clinton. These are church people now. And when Biden come on the scene, it's dropped from 16% to 24%. It went up from 16% that voted Hillary Clinton to 24% of Christians that were in the church voted for Joe Biden. And Donald Trump lost the White House by 2%. So who elected Joe Biden? It won't the black people. That's who they try to tell you did. More black people voted this time for Donald Trump and a Republican than they ever had before in their life. It was not the black people that elected Joe Biden. It was not the liberals that elected Joe Biden. It was the Christian church in 6% that came out and didn't like what Trump was doing and went and voted for Biden. That is the only statistic in what went on in 2020. That's the only statistic that is different other than more black people voted for Trump the last time than they did Biden and they ever had before. So the difference was found in the church, the people that said they were Christians, that don't believe in abortion, that don't believe in transgenderism, that don't believe that if you were a man that you were born and you, you were born a man that you could be called a woman and they don't believe in a man and a man marrying and a woman and a woman marrying but the man that believes in all that the church went and voted for him and because they went and voted for him now he's in office and look at the mess we got in America whose fault is it this is the bad news by the way Whose fault is it that we got inflation like we are right now? The supply line's all messed up the way it is and everything. When you get down to the brass tacks and draw the bottom line, who's guilty? The entire church. Now, I know you might not want to look at it that way, but I've studied statistics, and that's what happened. 8%, 8% of Christians that voted against Hillary Clinton in 2012 I'm sorry, 20, yeah, 2016. 8% jumped ship and went and voted for Biden in 2020. That said they were Christians. 8%. It's hard in this world that is divided the way it is to make up 8%. So the devil was really working against the church people during that point in time, and he was trying to kill America. I believe that with all of my heart. Amen get this now 52% of all Catholic voters voted with Biden here it is now 52% of every Catholic voter voted for Biden while four years before that only 46% voted for Clinton 
That's 6%. 6% of Catholics, Episcopalians, whatever you want to call them, all those that are loose and liberal Christians, they jumped ship and went and voted for legalized abortion, legalized for you to pay for somebody to get a sex change, legalized for someone to go out and marry a man, marry a woman, marry a turtle, marry a doll, whatever they wanted to marry. And now they're pushing this that, hey, you can go against biological fact and say, hey, it don't matter if I'm a man, I'm a woman, and I'm going to act like a woman. And the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So a man can think he's a woman, and he'll be a woman. But he's still a man. And all of that, the church voted for. Get this. In 2021, there were 4.8 million abortions in America alone. Now, this is going to blow your mind. Of that 4.8 million, 624,000 stated they were born again Christians that aborted their baby. Of those 624,000, about half of them were children that were underage and their mamas and daddies were saved and they went along with it. 624, that's 13% of Christians. That, of abortions that were done were done by Christians last year. That's some bad news, isn't it? Amen. Amen. 13 out of every 100 Christians that you see attending church calling Jesus Lord, 13 out of every 100 that when they had an abortion calling Jesus Lord killed their baby. There's a movement in the Christian faith called the promise keepers. It's when men come in and they say that they are going to uphold all the sexual things of the Bible and they're going to be men and they're going to have partners in that relation or partners in that uh, ministry and they're going to hold each other accountable to live by the good book. But 53% of them last year involved with promise keepers stated that they go to a, a porn site every week at least once on their computer. These are leaders in the church. One of the most wealthy ministries that there is in America today. Out of 6,000 pastors that were surveyed, 30% said they had viewed porn in the last 30 days or 1,800 out of 6,000 had looked at porn and stood up and preached on the same day. Fifty percent of Christians, get this, now this is what blows my mind, that was surveyed, fifty percent of Christians said that they do not believe that Satan exists. Thirty-three <laughs> percent of the Christians that were surveyed believed that Jesus had to commit a sin while he was here on this earth. Thirty-three percent. 40% say that they are not required under the gospel to share their faith to each person their own. Listen to that, 40%. Say that with me, 40%. That means four out of ten Christians say, it is not my obligation to tell anybody that I have found the one and true living God and he got the answers in my life. 25% stated that this book was not true. 
one in four, looked at the Bible and said it was not true. There's millions of people out there today that believe that Jesus is Lord, not just Lord, but he is their Lord, and they believe he sinned while he was here on earth. When asked about 2 Corinthians verse, chapter 5, verse 21, where the Bible said Jesus knew no sin, they said that was a typo. When asked about Hebrews 4.15, where it said in all points he was tempted such as we are, but yet without sin, they said that they couldn't rely on that because the Bible had been translated so much and they didn't believe that what was written in the Bible was the truth. These are people that are Christians. 1 Peter 2.22 says he committed no sin and there was no deceit found in his mouth. In other words, he never lied. And the people, 30, I'm sorry, 25% of them said that Jesus lied and he lied in the scripture and they could prove it. That's the bad news, partly. What that means is, is if Jesus sinned, he was not the spotless lamb of God, as 1 Peter 1 and 19 declares. 1 and 19 declares he was the spotless lamb of God. That means that his sacrifice to take care of your sin was not perfect. It also means that God accepted a contaminated payment for the atonement of our sin. Does that sound like the God you serve? Does that sound like the Lord Jesus Christ? These are people that have come and accepted the Lord under this. God has a wonderful plan for your life. And they don't even believe that Jesus was a sinless God. In fact, of the people that they surveyed, 30% believe Jesus in no way could have been born by a virgin girl. 41% of Christians believe that the Koran the Book of Mormon, the Buddhist Bible, the Confucians Bible are all different expressions of the very same spiritual truth. And 40% of those Christians don't think that there is any absolute truth anywhere. What that means is, is that 54% of Christians believe that God does not have a moral absolute. They're saying God is going to overlook my sin. Because God can't be morally absolute. 250 million people in America, or 75% of the population today, say they are Christians. 275 million say they're Christians. Glory to God. That sounds good. That doesn't sound like good, good news, don't it? But in 1973, 73% of the population attended church regularly. Today, only 40% attend a church regularly. Now listen, that word regularly is defined as at least once a month. Once a month. America needs a revival, amen? Last year, the Assembly of God said that they had over 5 million decisions for Jesus Christ. But their membership worldwide only increased by 220,000. 
What's that mean? That means 96% of these 5 millions don't attend church, but they still say they're Christians. And they have fell out of church within a year. The pollster's name is George Barna, and he said this. He said, although most Americans consider themselves to be Christians and say they know the content of the Bible, less than 10%, in fact, less than 4% demonstrate that that knowledge of knowing the Bible or experience that the, uh, experience God in any of their actions because they're still living exactly like the world, saying and doing the very same things that the world is doing. They are living in a moral society that accepts sin as good. This is a man that has been polling the Christian's faith all his life, and that's his summary. Near 96% of people replied that they had done this consistently in the last 12 months. Number one, they said, in the last year, I've lied. How many times in the last month, 12 months have you lied? How many times in the last 12 months did you hold back the truth and didn't tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth? 96% of those surveys said that in the last 12 months they had stolen something. Christians now. 96% said that they had committed fornication. For those of you who don't know what fornication is, let me talk to you online. Fornication is when you are not married and the person that you go to bed with is not married. That's fornication. Adultery is when you go to bed with another man's wife or you go to bed with another woman's husband. And they also said that they had done it at least once. They had committed adultery at least once in the last 12 months. Ain't that shocking? Young people today are thoroughly confused. And 33% of these people that were surveyed had killed their babies in abortions since 1973. So in the church today, you got people that say that there are Christians, but they have killed their baby, and they're Christians, but they don't come to church. They're Christians, and they're not supposed to have another God before God, but yet they ain't coming to church, and they're guilty of murder. Not... I hope I can stir your heart up tonight because we need to hear this. Eight out of ten young people say they're Christians. That's 80%. 80% of Eva's crowd that she is coming up with say they are Christians. 80%. But 61% of them believe that heaven can be earned by being good. If they're just good, they'll go to heaven. Why? Because granddaddy died and granddaddy was a downright uh, drunkard and a sinner and he knew he never had got his heart right with the Lord and the preacher stood up behind the pulpit and preached him to heaven because he was a good man. Hadn't y'all heard it? A lot. How many of you went to a funeral and you sat there and you knew that person's life and if you had to be the judge, you'd say, hmm, that person didn't ever make it to heaven and the preacher got right up there and preached him right straight into heaven. Amen. Anybody heard that? 
63% of people that are Ava's age believe that Muslims, Buddhists, Christians, Jews, and all pray to the same God. There is not a one true living God and other idols. Josh McDowell, he is a youth specialist. He's been studying it for a long time. He made this statement. He said, accepting Christ and making a profession of faith makes little or no interest in a young person's behavior or his morals. He went on to say, and, 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 and they've done a survey and found out that 98% of youth pastors that are pastoring youth today agrees with his statement that some, all the children accepting Christ and making a profession of faith has nothing to do, has no little change in them whatsoever. They come to the altar every service and profess Jesus Christ, but it don't change them at all. The Southern Baptist Council says this, 88% of children raised in a Christian home leave church at 18 and never return. 88%. That's some bad news. Anybody getting concerned for that? Let me read to you something that a preacher that preached hellfire and brimstone, one of the greatest men that ever lived on the earth, next to a few others that I know. His name was A.W. Tozer. He said this. He said, Tens of thousands of people, if not millions, have been brought to some kind of religious experience by accepting Jesus Christ. But they're not saved. And he made that statement in 1963. How many remember Dr. James Kennedy? You ever heard him preach before? Dr. James Kennedy said that the vast majority of people who are members of churches are not Christians. And he said, I based that on 24 years of being a pastor and dealing with people, and I traveled America, and I traveled the world. He said the vast majority of people who are members of the churches are Christians, not Christians. How many would say that's bad news? Amen. Let's get a little deeper. Since 1968, gay preachers have been ordained in the Metropolitan Community Church up in New York. Gay preachers since 1968. So now, some 53 years, we have had a church that has been licensing and ordaining gay people to stand up and to preach to your children. In 1972, the Unified Church of Christ ordained its first openly gay individual as the first gay pastor in the United States of America. The biggest church in North Carolina right now is in Raleigh, and the pastor is a lesbian. Lutheran has gay pastors. Presbyterian has gay pastors. Episcopalians have gay pastors, gay deacons, gay choir members, Christian Church Disciples of Christ, the Church of Scotland, England, Wales, Sweden, Norway, Denmark, Iceland, Finland, Germany, the Methodist Church, the Protestant Baptist churches have ordained gay pastors and they are in office right now today. How in the world could that have happened? I want to ask you tonight, if you knew I was gay, would you come hear me preach? I hope you would not. Why is it that we are having so many false conversions? Now, we act like that false conversion is something other new, but Jesus over in Mark chapter number 4, he, say, he gave a parable there, and he said, when the gospel is preached, I'm not going to read it all tonight because I need to hurry. When, when the gospel is preached, there's always going to be false converts. There's going to be Judas-type Christians. 
He talked about good ground and stony ground and thorny ground. And he said later on in the scripture there in verse number 19, he said, if you grasp the principle that I'm teaching you in this parable and then find out that there are true and false converts and that they will be alongside each other in church, then you'll fully understand all the parables I told you. You understand the parable of the tares and the wheat. You understand the parables of the, the wise and the foolish virgins. You understand the sheep and the goats. And you understand the parable of the dragnet. But without it, you won't. Turn with me to Matthew chapter number 7. Let me show something to you here right quick. Is this stirring your heart tonight, by the way? Verse 21. This is Jesus talking. Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, many will say unto me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have we not cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? And then, when I, and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. They called him Lord. There's a scripture in the Bible that says this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things I tell you or ask of thee? Turn to your neighbor right beside you here tonight. Look at him and say, why do you call him Lord and don't do what he asks you to do? He can't be your Lord if you don't obey him. There's no way. He can be your Savior, but he cannot be your Lord. Notice there, these people here called him Lord. They prophesied in his name. They cast out devils in his name. And they did wonders in his name. But they never knew Jesus. So there is a false anointing that brings about false conversions. And we as a church needs to fight that. Now, false conversions do have a measure of spirituality. They really do. Listen again. This is one month in March through April of 2021. American Horizon, which is a, a magazine, said a major denomination had 11,500 churches, and in one month they recorded 294,784 decisions for Christ. But, only 14,337 were still in the church 30 days later on. 280,000 could not be found nowhere. Within one month, 95% of the people that made a decision for Jesus Christ was not in church anymore. Something's wrong, amen? amen. The same magazine followed up a year later on last month, in fact, and, in, and they come back and said of the 294,784 one-month conversions from a year ago in this church, there were 442 that were still in the church a year later. Out of 294,784, there was 294,342 a year later that had left the church, they weren't in the church, and nobody knew where they were. It don't matter how much you profess that Jesus is Lord, you better start living the life. That's right. That's right. And when you don't understand what you're saved from, you're going to be in trouble, amen? Mm -hmm. How many has got your spirit stirred up right there? Oh, amen. Let me ask you why. Why? Why do you think? Why do you think 
that some 300,000 people in one month can come and give their heart to Jesus, walk up to the altar, shake the preacher's hand, be prayed over, led into the, spirit, the, the, the sinner's prayer, and one year later on, 99.85% of them can't be found. Janice, we got a problem in the church. Now, these are actual statistics. I'm not making them up. I pulled them off the Internet. I looked at them, and I went to Barnum's website, and I looked over through it, and I went through it. Here's why. Because instead of preaching the good news that sinners can be made righteous in Jesus Christ, they are preaching. Let me rephrase that. Instead of preaching that people can be made righteous in Jesus Christ and escape the wrath that is to come, we have settled ourselves for a gospel that Im implies that God's principle and his primary purpose in saving you is to unfold a wonderful plan for your life, to solve all your problems, to make your life happy. And yeah, I preached about being happy because the fruit of the Spirit is joy. But this is the message. And they're preaching that, he, that God's going to rescue you from all the hassles of life. How many of you here think you're truly saved? Would you say amen? amen. How many of you have some hassles in your life since you got saved? Amen. amen. Suppose that someone created a guaranteed parachute. And it would open 100% of the time. And any time you jumped out of the plane, it would always open 100% of the time. Wouldn't you want to have that parachute? If you had to jump out of the plane. But let's suppose that it was working fine like that and the secret in that thing working 100% of the time guaranteed to open up and let you come right down to the ground standing on your feet was in the way you folded that parachute. And Thelma come to you and said, I, I, I thank God for this parachute, but I have found a better way to fold this parachute and it's easier to fold it this way and it's quicker and you'll save some time. And later on you find out that Betty has fallen for Thelma's little game there and she jumps out of the plane and because the parachute wasn't folded up right in there, she hit the ground and killed her. And then Ben went and done it and exactly what Thelma wanted to do and now Ben's did. And everybody in this house done it except for Katrina, and she's the only one left. And somebody walks up to her and says, here's Thelma's parachute, and here's the one that is open 100% of the time. Which one are you going to choose? You're going to have to jump. No, I wouldn't pick hers because it killed everybody. What would you say to those who ignored the packing instructions to that parachute, ignored the 90% of the mangled bodies that they saw laying there on the ground and pointed to their 10% success ratio and said, this parachute works. I say, you lost your ever-loving mind. You think I'm going to trust my life in your 10% chance when I can trust myself in 100% chance. That's what's happening in the church. The 10% Chance is winning out over the 100% chance. And the minute that Betty, if she is a false convert, has some problems in her life, she throws up her hands and says, that preacher lied to me. That person that led me to the Lord lied to me. And I'll never go back to that church again. 
I, I, I'm preaching a lot better than y'all saying amen tonight. Amen. <laughs> the God's got a wonderful plan for your life. That method is mighty easy. But it's not biblical. And it's devastating. It has killed the church. The church has tampered with the instructions. And I'm going to go through the instructions in just a few minutes. Tampered with the instructions on how to reach the lost and it's made dire eternal consequences. And I can destroy that God's got a wonderful plan in your life in one paragraph. So here I am. Many pulpits will get up on Sunday and you'll hear this. God's got a wonderful plan for your life. He wants to give you true happiness and to fill the God-shaped hole in your whole heart that you've been trying to fill with those sex and drugs and alcohol and money. And Jesus said that he came to give you life and to give it more abundantly. So, so come forward right now and give your life to Jesus and you can experience this wonderful new life in Christ and you'll be happy from this day forward. Sounds good, don't it? But now, 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 while all of them are coming, uh, I just want to let you know and remind all of you that we need to pray for the Smiths because they lost two kids in a car accident yesterday. And Brother Jones uh, and Sister Myrtle and, and Brother Don, they've been diagnosed with cancer last week. And Brother Jones' wife has had a miscarriage on Tuesday, which was a real bad blow on, on their family considering that their two kids already have chronic uh, uh, asthma. And Sister Bryant fell yesterday and broke her hip the other day after her husband passed away. And Ernie Chambers lost his job last week, and he's sure going to have some difficulty being his wife has triple bypass surgery on Tuesday coming. And, you know, we got to pray for Sister Hill over there because she had kidney failure last Monday, and she passed away. We need to pray for her family. So let's keep that family in prayer. It's just March, and they've already had three tragedies in their family right now. But come on, Jesus got a wonderful plan for your life. Everything's going to be all right. That's the message we've been preaching. Oh, and how many here today need prayer for sickness? And how many of you need to have me pray for you for for uh, depression? And oh, 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 wow, that's that many. I tell you what, we ain't got room enough up here for all y'all to come to the altar. So all y'all just stay right there in your seat and I'll pray a prayer over you right now. That destroys your God's got a wonderful plan for your life. I'm not saying he don't. He does. But you don't. Get people converted, explaining to them that God's got a wonderful plan for your life, or even saying Jesus loves you. That is not what convicts somebody. The law convicts somebody. Preachers are promising people a bed of roses to those who come to Christ, while those that are already on the boat rose, they are sitting there in a bed of thorns. He assures the people coming into the kingdom and making a profession of Christ that they're going to have a smooth flight, but all those on board are going through some terrible turbulences. No one notices that paradox today, it don't seem. So let me explain it to you this way. Let's say I am a flight stewardess, and I walk up to you and I say, okay, about 10 minutes into this flight, we're all going to have to jump off from here. And here's the parachute. What you going to do with that parachute? Put it on. So, so while you have that parachute on, are you going to be worried about how heavy it is on your back? You're going to be sitting there saying, wait a minute, I've got to jump out of this plane in 10 minutes. Now, let's say that Birdie is sitting there and she's making fun of you. Look at you, I've got your parachute on you. I ain't going to wear that parachute. And you know you're fixing to have to jump. 
It don't matter what she says to you or at you. You're going to do what with that pair of shoes? Take it and jump. You're going to take it and jump. But what if I am a flight stewardess and I walk to Thelma and I say, Thelma, here's a parachute. You probably ain't going to have to use it, but it's going to make your life a whole lot, or your, your flight a whole lot smoother. How about putting it on? She puts on that parachute. What she started thinking about? Man, this parachute is uncomfortable. I'm helping y'all for a few minutes. This, this parachute is uncomfortable. And now Tina looks over there at Thelma, and Thelma's starting to sweat because she's got this big head of Thelma and hot parachute on. And Thelma, uh, Tina starts looking at her. So look at you, you dummy, you're sitting over there. I ain't got that thing off. I'm telling you, you don't need to wear that parachute. You don't need it. Oh, my Lord. Look at her over there, Katrina. We need to just pick on her because she's lost her every loving mind. What's going to happen to Thelma after a while? She's going to take that parachute off and shut y'all up. And that's what a new convert does that comes to Jesus on the God's got a wonderful plan for your life. Mm -hmm. But if Eva knows that she could die without a parachute, it don't matter what Janice says to her derogatorily, she ain't taking that parachute off. It don't matter how many, how many times in her life things get hot on her, are you taking that parachute off? It don't matter how much Joe laughs at her or Betty laughs at her or anybody criticizes her for wearing that parachute, she's going to be prepared when it's time to take a jump. So it's a big difference. And what the churches went done, Ned, for growth is they watered down the gospel to put people in the pew and forgot telling people, hey, you need that parachute because you're fixing to have a jump. So if I know I got to wear a pair of shoes, I'm going to keep them on. That's why you put on Jesus Christ. So tonight what I want to do is show you something. Can I do that tonight? How many are ready to learn the right way to minister to somebody about salvation? How many would love to know that every person that you bring into the kingdom of God 10 years down the road still be in church? And I want to tell you, I have to ask the Lord for forgiveness because I've stood behind that piano and I've watched people come to this altar and I've had other people lead them to the Lord and they've prayed the sinner's prayer and they've come to church and we have recorded them as a decision for Jesus Christ and when you look around, they're not here. So we got to get back to the absolute. Amen. Okay, Lord. The the wonderful plan, God's got a wonderful plan for your life method is not biblical. There's no precedent for it in Scripture. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Let me show you something. And then we're going to do something that's going to be fun. Hebrews 11, 35 through 38. This is what happens when people get saved. 
Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial or cruel mockings and scourgings, yet moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned and they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute and afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having attained a good report through faith, received not the promise, but God had provided something, some better thing for us that they without us should not have been made perfect. Mm-hmm. So, let me just ask you this. If the normal Christian today were sawn asunder, tempted, somebody put up, walked up and said, if you don't renounce Jesus Christ, I'm going to stick this sword in you and I'm going to kill you. If they went through that stuff right there, how many of you think that they would hold on to their faith until they were killed? No one that is fake uh, is a false convert will hold on to their faith when it gets hot in the kitchen. They'll throw it up. So how was it that Jesus ministered to people and brought them to Christ? Jesus and his disciples confronted their hearers as a criminal. Everybody look at me. You are a criminal, just like I am. I am guilty of a crime. And Jesus dealt with everyone in a crime, as a crime. So I want to carry you back to something that happened to me about two weeks ago now. I went to bed one night. I went to sleep. And in my dream, I went back, and the first date that I saw was September the 10th, 2001. Why is that date important? Anybody know? The day before 9 11. I was walking up to the tires in my dream. I walked in and went upstairs in the elevator and I walked into this place and I was the speaker of the day. And on the back of the clipboard it says the benefits of the Christian life. And it was full. People are on the, I mean, the whole building was full. It was being videoed. The whole place was full there. And in the dream, I was standing up there telling these people that God has a wonderful plan for their life. Mm-hmm. Then the scene changed. And I saw the date again, September 10th, 2001. And I went into the place and I walked in there and I was standing there and on the back of it it says, you're a criminal and I'm here to help. And I began to witness to them the way the Bible wanted to be witnessed to them. Let me ask you a question. Let's say you are that person that is carried back in time to September the 10th, 2001. You're addressing everybody in the towers. You got a great opportunity now to reach the lost. You know that they're going to wind up dead tomorrow. Mothers and fathers, husbands and wives, sons and daughters, they're all right there. These people are sitting there and they have a retirement plan. They've been working there for a long time. Others have just finalized plans for Thanksgiving and Christmas they're going to spend with their children. All these people have hopes, they have dreams, and they're before you right there today. And I want to ask you a question, but look at me real good. You knew what happened. You know now what happened on September 11th. What would you say to them that day? 
the day before. Jesus loves you. Would you just say that? Would you say God's got a wonderful plan for your life? Are you going to start telling them that God loves them and he's got a wonderful plan in life? Uh, in 24 hours, many of them are going to literally die in an unspeakable, horrible way. Some of them are going to become human torches as gasoline comes on them and burns up. Others are going to suffocate from, from poisonous gas while they're sitting there. And some are going to jump 110 stories off to come down and splat on the, on the concrete. And those are still alive are going to have the whole building come crashing down on them, twisted metal and concrete, and it's going to become pieces of a puzzle. Their body is going to be a piece of a puzzle and many are going to be crushed just like a helpless spider and you're going to stand up there and tell them God's got a wonderful plan for your life. Come to Jesus and everything's going to be all right. That's the attitude we got to start taking when we're witnessing to somebody because they're not promised the next breath. Are y'all hearing me now? Again, I want to know, what will you tell them? If you can only talk to them one time and it's the day before they die, what will you tell them? Can you in good conscience say to them, God's got a wonderful plan for your life. You're not an accident. Jesus knows the plans and he's got good plans for you in the future. Can you truly say that? Knowing they're going to die tomorrow. Now, sure, if they know God and they got killed, they went on home and they're better. Uh, and their last state's better than what it is right now. But you got to understand something. People don't hear this. Yea, though I walk through the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Do you realize you are walking in the shadow of death right now? You ain't got to go to a valley to walk through the shadow of death. Why? Because today 150 people died. I mean, 150,000 people died. This year, already, cancer has took out 7.9 million people. Heart disease already killed 7.2 million people. 1.27 million people have in the world have already died this year in car accidents. COVID has killed 4 million this year. The flu claimed 500,000. 100,000 have died from an infection that was caused by a doctor doing the wrong thing. And 125 doctors' mistake has killed their patients by giving them the wrong pill. 125,000. So we are living in the shadow of death. So if God had a wonderful plan for your life, it's, it's not going to be appropriate for those people that look at it as the biblical gospel because they don't equate that that wonderful life is in eternity. They want it here right now. And the gospel message is not just for people that are hurting and poor. Yes, Jesus said that the Lord had anointed him to preach the gospel to the poor and the brokenhearted and all that stuff, but it means something different than you just being poor financially and your heart being broken had a tough time in life. It's spiritual. It's got a spiritual meaning behind it. And, and, and this, God's got a wonderful plan for your life, limits the people you reach. 
Because you're looking for somebody that's having problems in their life. How do you minister to Donald Trump? That was the President of the United States. That's a billionaire. How do you minister to Elon Musk that has everything that he needs taken care of right down to cutting of his toenails by somebody else? God's got a wonderful plan for your life. I'm doing not a wonderful life. How do you minister to him? The true gospel plan of God entails everybody because everybody is on a level playing field at the cross. So, that said, how do you witness to somebody? Eva, come here. I have never met Eva before. I'm standing in the grocery store. And I know she's behind me and I said, Hey, how are you doing today? Hey. How are you doing today? Good. You doing good? Yeah. Good to see you. It's been kind of hot out there. Yeah. You hear what I said? Yeah. Go on. And don't, don't think they ought to have some more help in here and just this one person. Everybody has to sit here. You know, everybody's in a hurry. But by the way, I'm Kia. How are you? What's your name? Eva. What's your name? Eva. How old are you? Fourteen. Fourteen. Well, well, there's one thing that I do in life is this. Uh, I, I hand people things about the afterlife. I just want to ask you, Mary, do you believe in the afterlife? Yeah. You do? You do? Okay, really good. What do you know about the afterlife? Well, I know you're either going to go to heaven or hell. And, and what happens if you go to heaven? What do you got to do to go to heaven? Well, to get to heaven, you have to obey God's law and do right by so him. That's right. You have to do right by his law. And That's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, well, who goes to hell? Who do you think goes to hell? Well, to go to hell would be someone who doesn't do right by God's law. Like maybe like committed adultery and not repenting or drinking and doing pills and stuff, stuff like that. Okay, gotcha. Gotcha. Um, you can see yourself a good person? I don't know. Why don't you know? Um, like everyone else, you mess up at times. So you don't know that you're a good person? Compared to other people out there, you wouldn't say you're a good person? No. Would you say you're better than some other people? You really don't know? Uh-huh. So, so you can't pass judgment on nobody else, right? Right. I'm not going to put you on the spot. The reason why I'm talking to you is I really care about you. you know, I've never met you. You, know, you can tell me to take black leaves as far as I go. But uh, I'm here today and I give this message to everybody that I come in contact with because I, I truly care about people. And I don't want them to uh, not have the best life they can possibly have. And that track right there that I showed you, it talks about the afterlife. It explains to you about the afterlife. So you've already told me that you uh, believe in the afterlife, right? You believe there's you think good people go to heaven? Well, I mean, they do if they do right and follow by God's law. Okay. Do you think good people go to hell? No people go to hell. Why, why would people go to hell if it's you? Well, if they're wrong, people go to hell if they're good. I don't know. Huh. Got me there. So, so, so you're saying if a good person is good, then he most likely won't go to heaven. Ain't that what you just said? No. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, now 
I'm confused. You're confused? No, I'm Almost sickle in the world, is that's my job, I make sure I get you confused, okay? So we'll, we'll be okay there, all right? Um, I just got a few questions for you. One minute, please. A few questions for you. Um, you said that people that were good went to heaven, and if they obeyed God's law, they would have heaven. What's God's law? What do you mean by God's law? Well, you shouldn't do something if you know it's wrong. You shouldn't. Um, like, if you know something's wrong, don't do it. Um, make sure and God law, you should stay faithful to His word. So, you believe in the Bible, right? No. Have you ever read the Bible? A little bit. Have you ever read the Ten Commandments? Yeah, I've read over them. You've read them? Okay. Um, do you believe that there's a God? Yeah. Okay. So, we ain't got to go through that conversation or anything like that. So, that's good because most people you talk to want to stand me up on that and try to tell me the end God that everything came by science. So, you don't believe that this, everything comes together at one point. God done something for you, Pastor. Uh, so, so you would be one that would agree that God created you and God created me. Well, see, and that's the reason I'm talking to you because God created me and I believe God created you. And God wants the very best for you in life, for sure. And I, because I'm created of God, I want the very best for you too as well. Because God put love in my heart for people in the world here today. So I feel like if I don't really tell people about what God did for us, that literally I did you a disservice, and you wouldn't want me to feel like I've done you a disservice, would you? Mm-hmm. Boy, that, that puts people on the spot, because when you say, I don't want to leave here and do you a disservice, now, now she's ready to hear the gospel. And I look at her and I say like this, so, so you say you've read the Ten Commandments, right? Okay. Um, can you tell me, someone gets saved, what they're saved from. Now notice I am talking to someone that is in church. Okay? Mm-hmm. Let me see. Can you kind of explain to me what it means to somebody that's saved? For me, that would be where they they get saved from where the person they used to be, where all their sins, it's, it's basically it happened then, it's forgiven, it's, it's a new you, and you got to try to you got to do better. This, being saved, you have to do better and live by God. You have to talk to Him more regularly, regularly, read the Bible more, and do try as hard as you possibly can to live by His law and His commandments. Right. Well, I, I, I perceive that you know a little bit about Scripture and you're a spiritual person. That's good. That's good. Uh, let me ask you this, Eva. Uh, God said that when you were saved, that you were, you were saved
your soul you back.
you're a good person, you just gonna open those what? I line them up and then you gotta do you think the judge could do that? Probably not. Why, why wouldn't he do it? Well maybe he could have tried and did something. <laughs> <laughs> I want y'all to turn around and look. Everybody here is interested in this. You see what I'm saying? Everybody is. Ben, for the first time, is on the edge of his seat back here. <laughs> so let's say you're standing in front of the judge right now. You're guilty of lying. You can use this for speeding tickets or anything. How many here tonight has got a speeding ticket before? Let's say you had so many speeding tickets and parking tickets that you were wound up in the courtroom and the judge said, all right, you have continually sped, you continually parked wrong and all this stuff and you're guilty of that and you're going to have to pay a $25,000 fine or you're going to jail. Mm-hmm. Would you go to jail today? Mm-hmm. I'm going to scrap that money. <laughs> you've got to pay it right now. Oh, well, Are you going to go to jail here in the next minute? I'm going to have to, but I ain't got it. <laughs> <laughs> so either you're on trial now for all the lies that you told me. How, how old did you say you were? 14. So in 14 years that you've been alive, you, all these lies you told now you're standing in front of the judge, and the judge has found you guilty, and because of that, he says that you've got to pay a fine of $550,000, and you've got to pay for one minute, or you're going to jail. What's going to happen? I'm going to go to jail because I'm broke. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, most people are like that. As a matter of fact, if I had to do it, I'd probably go to jail too. Let me ask you a question. After the judge finds you guilty of all that, $550,000 fine and everything, he turns to you and he looks at you and he says, even today's your lucky day. Because somebody you don't even know has already paid the $550,000 fine. They must tell you this morning and said that whatever time is going to be free with you, that they yeah. pay that time. What would you say to a person that would do that for you? I don't even think I'd be able to say anything. <laughs> Why? Because it's got to be one of those things where you're just so shocked that someone would actually do something like that for you. Is that correct? After all the wrong, it's just one of those things where you've done so much wrong
So would you say you do not even think of that person they asked you for?
So she didn't know. See how easy that was? That was not hard at all. Thank you for the listening. The time to go through that is not easy. Most of the time you think so. But if you're willing to make the time and you're praying for the Lord with it and everything, mm -hmm. once you get that far into it, mm -hmm. then people are so enthusiastic. They'll say, okay. I can keep right on talking. Because yeah. I'm going to lose, so I just worry about their... I've been worried about that. Okay. Jesus done the same thing. And when Jesus done it, because of the way he ministered, people would shut down shop, leave the business, leave town, go out into the desert, mm -hmm. and they would sit out in the desert all day long. Mm -hmm. Because you're talking about me. Right, right. You're talking about me. Yeah. And, and that's the key.
Number one, she knows now she can't just be good and make it to heaven. Mm -hmm. She's got to accept Jesus Christ as her Savior. Mm -hmm. And tonight, just in her reaction, mm -hmm. by the time she got to the point where tears was rolling out of her eyes, mm -hmm. she had already prayed the sinner's prayer, and I hadn't even asked her to mm -hmm. pray the sinner's prayer. And that's the way you do it. You think you could do that? Well, we have to do. Everybody know where the, the, the Ten Commandments is in the Bible? Mm -hmm. What chapter are you in? Exodus 20. Exodus 20. Mm -hmm. When you go out to witness, the best track you can ever give out is the Ten Commandments. Okay. It really is. Okay. And, and, and change the okay. initial physical con uh, conversation to the spiritual. Okay. And, and the way you do that. You're out there in the, in the name of the church. You really ain't got to mention the church so okay. okay. You, you just say, we're here today because we love the community. Okay. And we love the community because Jesus put a love in our heart. And we're here today uh, because we care about you. Mm -hmm. And I, I just want that. And I mean, you don't even ask them if, if they got time. Mm -hmm. You just turn around and you say, here's a track. Mm -hmm. You put the track in your hand. Okay. And you say, here's a track. And that track is about the after. Right. And I just want to ask you a question. This is how it starts. I want to ask you a question. Do you believe in that? That's what I like. Now, mm -hmm. you're going to see some, say some people, mm -hmm. some people are going to say, no, I don't believe what we are here is gone. And you have to learn how to confront that too mm -hmm. as well. And it's, it's real easy. You ain't got to be there and labor on it and grumble at them and all that stuff mm -hmm. like that. And just, all you got to do is look at them and you say, you know, at one time I believe that too. Mm -hmm. Because in all reality, we live the way we live. We didn't so I believe that too. Something happened to me that caused me to change my mind. Do you mind if I share with you about that? Mm -hmm. and, and anything that comes up with that, you say, yeah, I was there too. Because mm -hmm. if they say, if they say, well, I'm good, I'm going to go to heaven. So yeah, I felt the very same way. In fact, I went to church and people in the church told me that, mm -hmm. you know, pretty much that God had a wonderful plan for my life, and I believed that. Mm -hmm. And I went to church and wasted a lot of years before I really found the answer. Now, do you have a moment for me to tell you the answer? And, and really. That's no special skill that you have that's outlaid to you in the Ten Commandments. And the, the easiest ones for you to use is, have you ever told a lie? Yeah. How, how many in here in the house tonight have you told a lie? Yes, Or you held back the truth? How many ever stolen anything for you? How many ever used God's name in vain before? And, and I love the, the way you use that. So would you ever use your mom's name in vain? Or would you use your mom's name as a customer? Ain't nobody going to tell you that you know, I'm, I'm usually this stuff, no. And then you, after you get those four answers, mm -hmm. you go and say, now you just sat here and told me that you, did, that, um, you didn't believe in the afterlife, mm -hmm. but you do believe there's a God, whatever it may be. You sum it up and you turn around and you say, you just told me you're a liar, liar and a thief and you're a daughter at heart and you dishonor your mom and dad and you use God's name in vain. And today, you know, if you go to court, we're not mm -hmm. going to tomorrow. Day you go to court, you're going to get a judgment, mm -hmm. and that's how you leave it. And, and when you get that, I guarantee you, there'll be more people crying while mm -hmm. you're out there ministering to people. If, you know, if, if they ask you what the afterlife is, if some of them don't know, what would you tell them? Well, a lot of them don't know what the afterlife yeah, is. Don't know what and and you, what I say, well, let me assure you, the afterlife is real. Okay. 
and let me explain to you what the afterlife is. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, you can use the scripture uh, that, that God said every knee will bow at Jesus. Uh, call him King, King of Glory, and Lord. Mm -hmm. Every knee in heaven, on earth, mm -hmm. and down below the earth. So you said, hey, there's people living in heaven, there's people living on below the earth, and people here. Mm -hmm. The afterlife I'm referencing to is the people that's living down below the earth. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about these two locations. It's, it's really not that hard. Any other questions? Are you glad that I've done this tonight? Oh, this is great. Are you thrilled now? Great. Don't she even look different? I know she's probably prayed before. And I know she's came to the altar before. And I know she may even ask the Lord to forgive her before. But until tonight, she never realized just how guilty she was. Mm -hmm. And by realization of how guilty she is, now she's free. Mm -hmm. Don't you feel that? Just smile. Are you going to give us more classes? Since <laughs> 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 yeah. the whole the whole world is in us, you know. And I'm not afraid to give them to y'all first. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need, if we need more, well, yeah. if we had an army of people that could do that. Mm -hmm. And send them out to a town. Mm -hmm. This church, we'd be building another church. Yeah. Here's the truth: we are not going to build this church by re bringing in right, exactly. people that's left the church and still struggling. Exactly. That's right. We're gonna have to go out and get some new people. Mm -hmm. Anybody got any other coming? I know it's late. Anybody got any other coming? Are you gonna continue the, the lesson? Yeah. I'll bring you some more things. You're gonna get some more people that's not quite as receptive as she was. Yes, bring them on. Yeah. I mean, you're going to do that. Yeah. yeah you can do it too. <laughs> I'll put you up here and let you grumble and fuss with me if you want to. <laughs> I guarantee you I'll lead you to the same Grumbling spot. Grumbling and fussing won't get the job done with it. Yeah. But I'm I mean, how can you look at somebody when you say, I really care about you? You're not judging them. Mm -hmm. You say, I really care well, about you. Yeah. And, and then you kind of throw it off on them and say, you wouldn't want me to feel like I did you a disservice. I mean, that's just polite manners, right? Uh, how many has ever had anybody walk up and give you some money and you didn't want to take the money? And that person says, oh, no, I ain't trying to. Don't you insult me by giving me about that money. How many has had that happen? What did you do? You kept the money, didn't you? You kept the money because you didn't want to insult that person. Nobody wants to insult nobody face to face, especially when you're talking. So here's what the devil does. The devil makes us scared to talk about our faith. Mm -hmm. And we get uncomfortable because we don't know what to say and scared we're going to get into an argument. Mm -hmm. Not every conversation is going to go well. I'm going to tell right, you that right, right now. Right but the bottom line is, is if you only reach one every time you go out, mm -hmm. you think about that. Every time you go out, if everybody on the team met one and there was five on the team, by the end of the year, you got 250 people sitting in church that's brand new that know what they're saved from. Mm -hmm. And that makes a big difference. Mm -hmm. I got pressure. Anybody else? Are you going to go out with us and show us live? Out yeah. Oh, okay. I'll try to show us live. She's just trying to put me on the spot now. <laughs> Ain't I got enough to do already? <laughs> when you go out, by the way, I'll go out with you. But okay. when, when you go out, I do go out. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know what you mean. This is true. I know. 
I want you all to think about what I've said tonight okay. and what I've talked with you about. Think about it. Think about it. If right now, this minute, you had to jump out of the airplane and I said, here's a parachute that is definitely going to open and here's one that you got a 10% chance that it's going to open up. Which one do you take? So I just offered you a parachute that will open up for you 100% of the time. Don't live another day without taking that parachute. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray to God that you will touch each and every heart. I thank you tonight for what you have done in this congregation tonight in this fellowship. Father, I have felt in the spirit tonight, in a quiet way, I have felt a breakthrough come through the heavens. I give you the glory for that in the name of Jesus. Take this that has been given and delivered and applied to our life. Keep us ever before our eyes the Ten Commandments and know that that law is our schoolmaster. And as we go forward into this, Lord, to learn more of you, Lord, that we will come to even respect the law more than we ever have. And I'll give you the glory for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hug a neck, shake a hand, tell him you love him. God bless you for coming. Y'all still remember.